Hey Whiskey Ringers, it is the end of spring and almost into summer, and I have some big updates for you. First off, in case you haven't heard, we are going to be doing our first ever Whiskey Ring Podcast Barrel Pick. It is going to be not one, but two barrels of Jack Daniels Barrel Proof Rye straight from Lynchburg. And if that wasn't incentive enough, one of your fellow patrons, a patron at the $25 level, is going to be joining me for the pick. This is going to be the first pick of many. If you want your chance to be part of a pick team, this is the perfect time to up that Patreon pledge to $25. There are only four spots available at that tier. Next up is an upcoming event that I am super excited about. This is going to be the first ever virtual tasting with Riachi Distillery in Lebanon. I got to try these guys when they were in the US for just a couple of days, and this is some phenomenal whiskey. They are the only distillery actively making whiskey in Lebanon right now, and this is a tasting you're just not going to want to miss. The event is on June 17th. Make sure to order by June 10th. If you are a patron or supporter or a member of the Whiskey Ringers group on Facebook, make sure to use that discount code at checkout to get your 15% off. Hope to see you there, and thank you so much for supporting. Now, here's another episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to what's going to be a bonus catch-up episode, if you will, with, we've got Devin and Chase here from American Mash and Grain, and you might also know them from Borrowed Page. They are not one, but two-time returning guests on this podcast now, and I'm thrilled to have them back for a quick catch-up to talk about the new release that just come out, Borrowed Page Volume 2. So Devin, Chase, welcome back. Thanks for having us. Thanks, David. So this one really wanted to talk about because, you know, the first one went over quite well, of course, your release from last year, volume one. And besides there being some notable differences in this batch, uh, there's also a larger batch besides what's in it as well. So um, let's just start from when, like, what did the timeline look like for this release? Did you guys start thinking about it before volume one was even released or did you kind of wait to see how volume one went out? That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we had kicked around ideas. Admittedly, Chase and I probably first seriously started thinking about what distilleries and styles of whiskey we might want to use for volume two while we were on the plane coming home from doing the first blend. <laughs> uh, that's when we like. That's when I like pulled out the phone and put a short list together. Of who we might want to reach out to for this, you know, because we have um, Jason and I have a few, you know, have a few ideas on deck, you know, about different kind of things we want to try with the borrowed page series. But um, the thing that sort of we built around on for volume two was no bourbon this time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of the 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 kickoff, and yeah, we started talking about it. Uh, we had a, our first flight to our connections on our way to our individual states uh, on our return flight from volume one's blend was when we first started talking about it. Yeah, so the first blend, volume one was 58% bourbon. We had bourbon from uh, Watershed and... Spirits French Lick. Like thank you, Spirits How could I forget? I just talked to Alan today. So yeah. from Watershed and Spirits of French Lick, 
and there's a 58% of the blend and said this one falling to no bourbon. Now in yeah, volume we, one, you also had the, a little bit of single malt in there <laughs> as well as some monongahela rye. So what, what was kind of, let's dig a little deeper. What was the impetus for saying like no bourbon? That's going to be first rule. You know, I, I don't want to speak for Devin because I, I think maybe we arrived on it a little separately, but but also collectively. Um, I think going back to our underlying thesis on what we want borrowed page to be, you know, it, it's a platform for us to try and kind of expand what people think about when they think of American made whiskey. And, you know, I mean, that's why we're intentionally making American whiskey kind of like designated lists, you know, if that's a word, which it probably isn't. Um, but you know, American whiskey is so synonymous with bourbon that we wanted to really kind of make a big statement and just say, all right, we're cutting out the bourbon entirely to really drive home this underlying idea that like American whiskey is and can be so much more than just bourbon. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. And, you know, the other thing, I think that's part one of what we're hoping Borrowed Page will be. But the other thing is that the term American whiskey is still a little bit taboo it's still a little bit down upon and that's because of a long history of you know especially in the late 70s 80s when taste profiles changed and people were leaning more towards lighter spirits like vodka and gin companies started to cut their whiskey with you know neutral grain spirit to produce a cheaper and lighter whiskey um, you know, some prohibition and post-prohibition era, you know, stories are also involved in that kind of negative connotation around the term American whiskey. So it still kind of uh, carries this sort of scarlet letter among, you know, whiskey in this country, whereas bourbon is obviously the, you know, the darling of this country's whiskey at this point, and rye is in a major resurgence. And American single malt is about to be standardized theoretically by the TTV at some point, <laughs> maybe. Um, you know, American whiskey still carries that negative connotation. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the craft movement has done an incredible job at starting the process of fighting against that negative connotation. There's a ton of craft distilleries around the country that have put out an American whiskey or a whiskey blend, uh, you know, that are really great and really high quality products. But I also found that a majority of those American whiskeys being put out, even by craft producers, are usually a bourbon rye blend, you know. Um, and yes, we have the mesquite smoked single malts in volume one to kind of throw an interesting curveball in there profile wise but for volume two building off of what chase said and keeping that in mind i think that's that's where the no bourbon statute for volume two came from and is the if i remember correctly from the uh, first time you guys came on when we're talking about volume one as well the goal is also to not uh, repeat distilleries as well well i wouldn't say that we'll never repeat distilleries because first of all there 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 are so many distilleries that make 
a variety of really great and interesting products. And we're seeing even new products come out now. You know, Whiskey Delbac, who we worked with for volume one and is known for their single malts and their, you know, specifically the mesquite smoke single malt, just came out with uh, Sentinel, their rye whiskey. Um, so could be interesting at some point to come back and say, hey, let's get you back in here, but let's try something different this time. And, uh, you know, Mammoth Distilling is in this blend with their woolly rye, but they've also been working on their Rosen Rye project, uh, which, you know, as I know you know, is incredibly captivating and interesting. So I don't want to I don't want to stop ourselves from being able to potentially come back to Mammoth one day and say, hey, is that Rosen Rye ready? Uh, because that feels like it's going to be in borrowed page at some point down the line. So I'll say it's not that we won't repeat distilleries, but if we do go back, I think we'll probably try to get something a little bit different. Uh, but certainly the overall complexion of what each blend will be in perpetuity will be different. Awesome. So that was definitely a question I was going to ask about that. So that covers that. So let's jump into this particular blend. And I want to start off with Virginia distilling. Um, I know you guys have read the review that I put out of the product and I was truthful right out there. I ate crow on the Virginia distilling part and I'm hopefully they don't dislike me enough that, you know, they won't answer an email, but, um, you know, when I first tried them, I, I really was not a big fan. Whereas with the other, with volume one, I'd had the opportunity to try all four components or very nears to the components before trying the blend. So I, I knew what I was expecting from each part from this one, uh, the mammoth I had tried, tell me I had tried, but, uh, Virginia just selling, I hadn't in quite a while. And since I've tried them the last time, a lot has changed with that So, and I keep hearing good things. So uh, why don't we dive a little bit into that component of it? Cause it is the biggest component, 38% of the blend comprised of two types of casks. So uh, yeah, I'll open the floor to talk about Virginia. Yeah. I mean, well, <clears throat> go ahead, Chase, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say like, you know, through our creative process, right. We, we don't go into it saying this distillery is going to be proportionally larger than the next, right? It's more of, we identify uh, people who, whose products we, we really like, people whose stories we really appreciate getting to tell. Um, and we, you know, and, and along with a concept of that we think they'd kind of work together, but but we kind of arrive at this moment, we receive the samples and it's still very much a blank canvas. And, mm -hmm. you know, when, when we were going through the uh, Virginia distilling samples, um, we were really kind of at a loss. Like, we, we individually taste every, every sample. We're like, we really like this. We really like that. And we kind of found ourselves this moment. Like we don't want to exclude one, uh, you know, to, to go with the other. And so as we were going through, through the, the testing process and trying different proportions of each barrel sample, um, what we, what we found was the, the, uh, Oloroso cask and the, the cuvee cask, like they both brought something very different, like kind of, you know, these, different flavor elements um, that we actually thought went really well together. They, they were kind of like this bright, sweet piece that, that when, you know, together along with the rye, um, admitted a really dynamic kind of, kind of flavor profile. And so what we found is when we, we were expecting to go with one, we ended up going with two because 
there was a happy surprise there. Yeah, and I think in terms of maybe like why why Virginia Distillery Company, right? Um, I totally understand where you're coming from of the review you did of one of their products a while back. I think that's something that a lot of uh, craft whiskey distilleries need to work through, which is that you know not everything not everything is right at a younger age. Sometimes you try some stuff and it doesn't work. I can't remember, but I feel like what you had tried was also kind of a, an interesting cask. Uh, a, cider, a cider cask finish. Right, which I know they still do, um, but I'm sure they've become a little bit more nimble with that. You know, the great thing about the Borrowed Page series is that we don't work with any distilleries that we haven't already featured on the website. So we know the product and we know the ethos and the methodology behind how it's made. And I, I speak for myself, but I think Chase agrees. We've tasted a lot of phenomenal whiskey. We've tasted a lot of phenomenal single malts, but Virginia Distillery Company's product uh, is incredibly refined, uh, delicate, flavorful. It's, um, it's a beautiful expression. And what we were lucky enough is that you know, when they first started, they were doing blends with Scottish whiskey and their stuff. I think they still release some products under that sort of branding label. But now they have their flagship product, the Courage and Conviction American Single Malt Out, which is a blend of their single malt aged in sherry cask, cuvee, and uh, used bourbon barrels. Um, and we were lucky enough that when they sent us samples, they sent us all those components um, so that we could really pick and choose how we wanted to represent the flavor profile that they have, they chose for themselves. And like Jay said, we, we had a bounty of choices with them. The reason we went with the cuvee and the sherry, like Chase said, is that they were very special and they brought something very different to the table. But we also felt that as good as the single malt that was aged in the used bourbon barrel was, what we were getting from the rye whiskey uh, that we were getting from Mammoth and even a little bit some of the complexion of the single pot still whiskey from Talnua we felt like that flavor profile was being represented. So by choosing those other two whiskeys, we were able to sort of complete the picture. Um, the hardest thing with blending with those whiskeys is that we love the sherry so much. But similar to what our experience was when we were blending volume one with the mesquite smoked single malt, that uh, a little bit of sherry goes a very long way. So it was very easy to have that sherry cask knock out everything else. Um, and it was a big cask, you know, because those Oloroso sherry butts are big. I think it was like 140 gallons or something were in that thing. Yeah. We, ended up, we ended up asking them to siphon off 20. Uh, and that's what we ended up getting in. So it was, it was a fun process working with those Virginia distillery single malts. And one more question on them and just, just my own edification, because I am going to go after them to ask, to chat with them now. Uh, you touched on it a bit, but what, you know, you guys have tried so many single malts in particular for 
your own for your own enjoyment and for the site uh what made virginia really stand out as i think you had you spoke to why now is the good time but like flavor wise with their own malts and and how they're doing things what kind of made now the right time i mean I don't know if I can speak to the the timing because um, it makes it seem like we're mapping things out years in the in the future. Um, you know, it really was we kind of arrived at this moment we wanted to use some single malts and and they were the, the top of mind for us. How much were that savvy? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, maybe when we start start figuring out what, what volume fifty looks like, um, <laughs> we can get that that sophisticated. Um, it, I think you know, kind of going back to the, the, the cast finishing they're, they're, that they're doing right now, right? They, they have the courage and conviction, but they have those individual expressions of the, of the, the sherry, the, the cuvee in the bourbon. You know, one thing I really appreciated when we tasted them through the first time was it really is clearly kind of that unifying thread of, you know, the mash bill and what that flavor profile looks like. But I thought, you know, starting with that, that universal base in, in being able to taste just how, good and how different each individual cast finished was and, and really kind of talking to or speaking to like the range that you can create by just how you finish it was really compelling for me for for virginia distilling um plus we loved their story you know the, the legacy of, of his father and, and and everything was was you know we really enjoyed getting to tell that story and so um it was kind of for us i think when we were thinking about which single malt producer to, to work with was a was a I don't want to say easy decision because there's a lot of quality products out there, but was certainly on our immediate shortlist. And from a production standpoint too, I think that a lot of distilleries have had to do this, but we got a little bit more in depth with, with it, with Virginia, which is that they were trying to replicate a Scottish style of distillation and a Scottish style whiskey, but their climate in Virginia is extremely different from the climate in Scotland. So uh, they had to go through a lot of trial and error. They had to bring in consultants. They really had to formulate a, a methodology out there where they could create this exquisite product given the challenges that the Virginia climate gave them too. So really compelling from a story, story aspect, story standpoint, flavor aspect, and from a production aspect as well uh so kind of ticked all the boxes for us i think sounds good all right so component number two at just one percent behind we have mammoth distilling their woolly rye so 38 percent for virginia 37 percent for mammoth and then that leaves 25 for town Nua. so with mammoth and as you mentioned you guys have done an in-depth look at them before I used it for my own research when I was doing my episode with with Ari and Colin. Uh, so what led you to using the woolly rye, number one? And, you know, same question for for as for Virginia. Why now with Mammoth? Especially, Devin, to your point, that they're, the Rosen's going to be coming. So... I'll, I'll jump in before because I see Devin chopping in the bits. I, I, I think when, when we talk about timing for this one, it was really just because we didn't want to wait. Um, you know, there, we were just so eager. You know, it was one of those conversations left with them. 
just feeling fully energized, like, oh, like we, 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 like we really feel the value of what we're doing and what they're doing. Um, you know, the enthusiasm that they're bringing, like it, trying to start a craft uh, distillery is such a massive endeavor to begin with. And then you, you, you compound it by wanting to do it in, you know, Northern Michigan uh, and really trying to bring craft spirits and craft cocktails to small towns versus kind of big urban areas and then revitalizing the whole grain variety you know like there's hard and then there's like insane hard and we, we really kind of love those people that just don't want to compromise on anything and they have a clear vision and they know who they're trying to serve and they know why they're trying to do it and so like the mammoth thing and the, and the timing is like we just we didn't want to wait till a, a subsequent you know, volume to to bring them into the fold yeah, I mean, Chase hit it on the head. A a big part of it, I mean, talk talk about doing things the right way. Mammoth does things the right way. And from a story from a storytelling point of view and from a production point of view, the you know, they talk a lot about the agriculture they have up there in northern Michigan and the different sort of geological zones that are around them that allow them to grow all types of, you know, incredible grain and produce and fruits and all of that. Um, it was a great opportunity to work with people that we care a lot about the entire process from the seeds in the ground to what goes into the barrel to what goes into the bottle. And, you know, to be able to work with people like Colin and Ari and Chad, I think a big part of the success that we've experienced so far with Borrow Page being a relatively small, still relatively unknown brand, is that we rely a lot on partnering with people that we feel are going to be aligned with us on a mission level, not just to not just to put another product out there. Uh, or to have a snazzy press release, but who actually believe in what it is that we're doing and want to be out there and be a champion for us. I mean, Adeline Bishop at Spirits of French Lick was a, such a huge cheerleader for us for volume one and continues to be a cheerleader for us in general. But I think it's important that you you have distillery partners in an endeavor like this that are really aligned with what you're trying to do. And that's Mammoth. That's all of them, but definitely Mammoth for us. Definitely Ari, definitely Chad. Um, and in terms of your question about like why the woolly rye, I mean, it's a great rye whiskey. I think we kind of knew when we, when we sort of were targeting Virginia and their single malts and we were thinking about Talnua and that single pot still, we knew we wanted a, a rye whiskey in there to kind of anchor and, and give some some depth and richness to the whiskey. And when we were thinking through the distilleries that made rye whiskey, we were thinking who's got a great rye and who's going to be a great champion. And, you know, Mammoth was the one that rose to the top of that list. Uh, rye is a great whiskey. I also, you know, full transparency, I did ask Chad on the phone. I said, hey, is any of that Rosen Rye ready to go? And he said, let's come back for another, another, you know, round of this down the road. And I said, I'm going to hold you to that. So, uh, yeah, it's a great, great product. And we got some cool, we got some cool versions of that woolly rye in this blend. And I'm still going to, I'm still waiting for my sample of the Rosen right off the still. Is that <laughs> 
I got that from um, uh, Stolen Wolf. Wolf. Yeah. And uh, damn, that stuff was delicious. It was 131 proof and you wouldn't have known it. But somebody I'm else also desensitized. I, <laughs> another distillery that I seriously considered for this blend, which was Stolen Wolf, who also makes phenomenal rye whiskey. Uh, and the only thing that kind of pushed us away from them is, uh, you know, we just had a Pennsylvania whiskey in the last blend. So it felt a little bit like dipping back into a state we had just visited. So keep your eyes out. I would, you know, don't sleep on uh, Stolen Wolf and Bard Page sometime down the line. Hopefully. <laughs> Eric? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. The Yeah, the ethos makes sense, but I also... It, it, it makes sense too to separate, as you said, you just did a Pennsylvania whiskey, a Pennsylvania rye specifically. So yeah. move from that one. Uh, as we're moving into the, the last part with Telnua, what I was thinking about as I was drinking this too, because again, I'd had two of the products, the Woolly Rye and um, Telnua's. And so I, in that way, I could kind of figure out by process of elimination what was coming from Virginia in that sense. Uh, and I literally tasted all three of these. I tasted borrowed page and the other two bottles next to each other so i could do that the woolly rye surprisingly in the blend at least um i agree with you that it added the body and richness and depth to it what was kind of surprising and not necessarily a bad way was that it wasn't particularly spicy you know it didn't have that that cinnamon kick or back of the throat kick that you can get in a rye whiskey particularly one with what is it 88 percent rye i think they have in that yeah. So, you know, knowing that you would probably get some of that kick from the single pot still as well, and maybe a little bit from the malt too, you said that you got, you tried through a couple of different woolly rise. Did you also try to go for one that, as you said, would balance out with less of a typical rye character? Yeah. So the two that we ended up picking were great for very different reasons the there's one barrel barrel 862 which was a very lovely rye it had a little bit of that sort of beautiful baking spice quality to it it had kind of like a cinnamon bread pudding kind of nose on it um but it was a little bit light uh, a little bit light on the mouthfeel a little bit short on the finish but it was a really nice representation of that woolly rye and how it, you know, some of the flavor uh, components there. Then there was this other sample that didn't have a number on it and just had the letters RTB. So I had to go back to the mammoth guys and say, hey, what does RTB mean? And what it stands for is the Royal Tannin Bomb. Mm. Uh, and what that is, is it was a 53-gallon barrel that leaked so they had to recuper it into a 30 gallon barrel and apparently they you know this is from kind of their older stock they recently changed uh cooperages they were using the barrel mill in minnesota and they very recently transferred over to kelvin so this was a the 862 is in the kelvin barrel which as colin described to me has a little bit of a looser grain structure to the wood so some of those fruitier notes are able to kind of come through a little bit more in the rye 
in the new Cal newer Kelvin barrels. But the older barrel mill barrels that they were using before, which the Royal Tannenbaum was in two different versions of that, a 53 and then a 30, has a tighter grain structure to it. So it was a lot more tannic and there's a lot more oak influence on those whiskeys. Uh, hence the nickname Royal Tannenbaum. And we just found that the combination of those two ryes together represented the woolly rye that Mammoth makes very well, while also having this, you know, extra layer of, of depth and complexity uh, that we could just couldn't turn down for this blend. Wolfburn Distillery captures the spirit of Scotland's far north. As the northernmost distillery on the Scottish mainland, Wolfburn ties together long fermentation, slow distillation, and seaside maturation for unique and superb character. Originally founded in 1821, this exceptional distillery was restored in 2012 to its original greatness, resurrecting a 200-year-old distillery on the largest blanket peat bog in all of Europe. Whether you're drinking Northland, Wolfburn's first expression, aged in American oak quarter casks, Aurora, a beautiful sherried whiskey laid down in a combination of bourbon and Oloroso sherry casks, Morvern, their lightly peated variety, or Langskip, their cast strength release. There's a Wolfburn for everyone. Arriving to the States later this year is their first permanent age state of release, the 10-year-old. You can also find small batch releases and limited edition bottlings at specialty retailers across the U.S. Reach out to our friends at Impex Beverages for more information on where to find your favorite expression. Wolfburn Distillery. Fortune favors the brave. I'm, of course, blanking right now, but there was a recent episode, and recent, I mean like the last six months, but a recent episode where uh, we were talking about the grain structure in the wood and how that's going to impact the flavor, um, plus talking about a uh, French oak finish that was a review only, not an episode. But we talked about how, as you were saying, the more open structure is going to allow certain other flavors, the tighter structure, you're going to keep more of the whiskey in there as well, and other compounds are going to escape. So now I have to figure out which one that is. I will throw that in the show notes for this episode if and when I remember which one that is. <laughs> um, but even you know, even so, though, for a Royal Tannenbaum, it was, dare I say, well-controlled. You know, I'm someone who's really sensitive to woodiness in their whiskey. I don't really like it. And I didn't get any of that. Just, just the richness and depth to it. Honestly, you know, I, I can't speak in any scientific fashion about it. Right. But like, you know, when we tasted the individual components, it really did have, especially the Royal Tannenbaum, some of those big, you know, peppery woody notes to it. And then I think the, the, the richness of the malt and the fruitiness of the finishing, right. I, I, I think it, I don't want to say mask, but, but it complements in a way where, where it that's not the prominent flavor profile. And I, I think some of that's really kind of uh, rounding out really through the, the, the blending, not to, you know, to, to, I guess, pat ourselves on the back. I think it's just what we're learning as we're trying pat, to blend pat away. You did a good job. <laughs> as, as we're learning the process of, of blending multiple styles of whiskey together is that, um, you know, it, it, there is this element of, they balance each other out, and, you know, and, and, and so, you know, uh, the, the maltiness doesn't become overly malty, the pepperiness doesn't become overly peppery and, and, and so forth. Um, and I think that was kind of just a, a, a really delightful surprise as we were going through the learning process of this particular blend. It worked. It's the best we can say it worked. 
And finally, bringing us to Talnua. So Talnua was the new one for me that got in just under the wire, but a single pot still made in Colorado in the US, but in the Irish style. So with the focus particularly on American whiskeys, um, even you know, including American single malts kind of made in the American style or whatever you want to call it, throwing an Irish style single pot still in there. What led to that? Um, well, I'll say that what's cool about Talnua is that it is wholly unique and different from pretty much any other whiskey that we have tasted on this journey over the last three years. I know there are some other people out there that are making a pot still style whiskey, uh, Kings County distillery where I used to work their Irish style, American whiskey started off as a 100% malted barley mash bill. And is now over the last several years, it's been a pot still style using raw and malted barley. Um, uh, Branch Point, which is another distillery that we've featured in Oregon, also makes a pot still style whiskey. But Talnua has really kind of similarly to us in the sense that we are only going to be producing American whiskey. Talnua has similarly kind of planted their flag in the ground, which is that they're only going to make single whiskey. They're not going to make a different kind um, of whiskey. And while it is an Irish style whiskey, they they do have some American spins on it. So you know, and even their name, I, I don't remember exactly what Talnua ends up uh, translating to, but I think it's kind of like the land. Like Tal has something to do with the land or something like that, and Nua obviously is is new. So. There's a, I think there's a little bit of a, and their their logo even, I'm going real deep here. Their logo is of this uh, ram who is looking back and there's like a Celtic moon or a Celtic sun or something that it's looking back on, but it's on like a mountain range. So the idea being that even their logo is suggesting that they have this sort of very Colorado-esque feel with the mountains and this animal, but looking back towards history and looking back towards their tradition and the heritage of the Irish-style pot still whiskey, it's that combination of, of old heritage and tradition and new methodology. They age their pot still whiskey in, uh, in virgin uh, American oak, like a bourbon would do or a rye at least for for their for their flagship offering and then what we have in this blend is actually from their continuum cask it's from their sort of solera method where they take that whiskey that was aged in virgin american oak and then they you know add it to a large oak fooder they drain out what they need for their next batch leave whatever's left and then replace it with new whiskey so it is an irish style concept the pot still whiskey, which is uh, for those listening who don't really know what that is, pot still whiskey is a uh, it's a whiskey that is made from a combination of malted barley and raw barley. 
Um, and you can add some other grains in there, but at Telnua, it's an even 50-50 split, 50% malted, 50% raw barley in there. And it's a really unique distillate coming off the still. And I think what that American oak does is it adds, again, that level of richness and depth. And then the continuum cask uh, gives it this, in, this incredible smoothness uh, and sort of continuity. Um, so I think what attracted us to them is that they sort of had that flag planted in the ground and they're making a very unique style of American whiskey that not very many people are making and certainly nobody is devoting themselves to 100%. And that's a great story. And those are the kinds of people that we want to support and try to highlight with these blends. And if you ask Patrick, that 50-50 blend may not be their blend for long. So you may have a new product in a few years to work with as well. Yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe volume fill in the blank will be the same three distilleries, but we'll use completely <laughs> completely different whiskeys. Yeah, I think hopefully that's a high number. If we run out of other <laughs> ideas, we just circle back to like let, let's go back to the hits, but with different products. Maybe we're running dry on ideas. Yeah, I mean, that that could be a really cool idea though, especially with with these three. Like use the mammoth, but use Rosen. Take Tal New and use the new. I think he's going to try to do more of a kind of 30, 30, 30 blend with maybe some oats or something else in the third. And with Virginia, either a different cask or wherever they are in however many years, that could be a really interesting story. We'll, in throw, that, we'll throw that cider cask in there for you, David. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a cool idea. It reminds me a little bit like when you go to see a concert uh, for like a band that you love and they mm -hmm. decide to play like, one of their hit songs, like acoustic instead of, uh, you know, like the big band behind them. So I don't know about that, but well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cool idea for sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. So just to close out with you guys. Uh, so we have borrow page volume two. It's available. Now there are about 900 total bottles. You've got seven fifties, but also for the first time three seventy fives available. They can be found through your website through it's just searching borrowed page if you go to american mash and grain you can also find it directly through there it'll redirect you uh and finally have you already started on volume three only conceptional we, we got two leading ideas from a concepting standpoint we haven't necessarily chosen between them we haven't contacted anyone about them uh, so certainly from an ideation standpoint, um, we're there, we're thinking about it, but, um, no, I mean, all of our time and energy, uh, has been focused on launching a bar, you know, volume two. And, and now we need to kind of shift gears back to volume three. I'll give a little like intriguing tease, which is to say the leading concept for volume three hinges on a distillery who has previously told us no changing their mind to yes because of the concept behind the third volume <laughs> if that's a if that's a fun edge of your seat kind of tease that's the of the most i'll give you but um yeah it's a we got some fun ideas in our in the pipeline i like it i like it can't wait to see what comes next with the next plan oh no sorry i forgot one more thing that we also got to give a shout out to that one dude ryan Ryan Mills, 
on you can find him on all socials but especially on instagram who helped you out with that blend so i'd be remiss to take five just a couple more minutes and just say like how did that how did you choose ryan how did he help out with the blend um i mean i don't i don't think we can say enough about his you know participation his contributions I, honestly for us uh we're still so humbled when people say yes to us you know <laughs> you know and and so we have this like kind of short list of um people out there maybe non-producing uh people who we really enjoy their content we, we really like what they're doing what their messaging is how they're going about their business and and, and not Ryan was obviously on the, on that short list. So we kind of circled him expecting a no. And then he said, yes. And then it was this kind of um, exciting moment. But honestly, he was awesome to work with, right? Like he, he came in, he, he had a lot of really valuable insights. His palate's, you know, really high quality. His nose is really high quality, but he also was down for the collaboration, right? The concern was when we bring a third person in uh, that it becomes too much of, of their vision and they have a hard time hearing us. And it really wasn't that wave with him. Like he was, I mean, at his core, he's a whiskey nerd. And so just the, the act of doing it and talking about it uh, was really exciting and it was a great experience. That's yeah. Awesome. The, the idea is that the idea is that we'll bring in a guest blender for, for all of these releases. Um, not because Chase and I don't trust ourselves, but because it's just another way to expand the whiskey community a little bit more and what that one dude ryan um one reason that he became attractive to us as a guest blender for this one is that he was just such a big supporter of the first release um you know i sent him uh i sent him a little sample uh maybe a little naively as a you know first time doing this kind of thing like sent him like a you know like a 100 ml little bottle or something and of course he's not going to slam and sip a 100 ml bottle but um he reached out to us on social media and he was uh really really complimentary of it he is really uh baked into the sort of florida whiskey scene uh and not even whisk just whiskey culinary scene as well so he was sharing that tiny little bottle uh, with as many people as he could, you know, get out of it. Um, so then we, you know, then we got up the, you know, the courage to send him a, a real bottle, a full bottle. Uh, and he did the slams and slam and sips for us, which was a big, you know, mo momentum builder for volume one. Uh, yeah, I mean, in general, he's just a really cool guy. We could tell that he genuinely thought it was a cool thing and thought that we did a nice job. So uh, we thought, Hey man, do you want to be a part of volume two? And like Jay said, he was extremely enthusiastic and game from the get-go. So um we're very uh blessed to have gotten to work with him on this one. Fantastic. Well, again, uh I don't think you guys have anything to prove with that. You did volume one, quote unquote, on your own, and it was just an excellent whiskey. This is a very worthy follow-up. I'm looking forward to see. We had, we had Andemic as the guest blender for Volume One. Okay, all right, that's true. I had forgotten that, but still, <laughs> still, it goes past you guys. So, like, I don't know. For me, for me, there's nothing to prove there. Um, but yeah. I love the idea. Build a whiskey community. Oh, <laughs> only top tier. Love it. Well, 
Devin, Chase, thank you guys so much for coming on uh, to, to chat about this. Thrilled that it's gone so well. Thrilled that it is so delicious. Not that I was ever worried, but you never know sometimes. But now I know if I didn't before. Though, no, no, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But no, this is great. And I'm sharing with my friends for sure. Uh, can't say enough. There will be a link in the show notes to directly to purchase this because you really should like price wise, value wise, taste wise, you're going to enjoy this. If you hear this and you don't have a bottle already, grab one. They might go pretty quickly. So guys, thanks again so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hold on for just a sec. Hey folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskey Ring podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice, and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps, or email me at david at whiskeymywedderring.com with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeyinmywedderring. That's whiskey with an E, for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content, including our soon-to-resume Under the Influencer series, and $25 a month means you join the Barrel Share Club. Each month, Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or at Whiskey Ring Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Whiskey Ring. You can follow on Facebook at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.